Chapter Thirteen of Eldorado by Baroness Orzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in July two thousand and seven. Chapter Thirteen. Then everything was dark. The night that Armand Saint Just spent tossing about on a hard, narrow bed was the most miserable, agonizing one he had ever passed in his life. A kind of fever ran through him, causing his teeth to chatter and the veins in his temples to throb until he thought that they must burst. Physically he certainly was ill. The mental strain caused by two great conflicting passions had attacked his bodily strength, and whilst his brain and heart fought their battles together, his aching limbs found no repose. His love for Jeanne, his loyalty to the man to whom he owed his life, and to whom he had sworn allegiance and implicit obedience. These super-acute feelings seemed to be tearing at his very heart-strings, until he felt that he could no longer lie on the miserable palliasse which in these squalid lodgings did duty for a bed. He rose long before daybreak, with tired back and burning eyes, but unconscious of any pain save that which tore at his heart. The weather, fortunately, was not quite so cold. A sudden and very rapid thaw had set in and when, after a hurried toilette, Armand, carrying a bundle under his arm, emerged into the street, the mild south wind struck pleasantly on his face. It was then pitch dark. The street lamps had been extinguished long ago, and the feeble January sun had not yet tinged with pale colour the heavy clouds that hung over the sky. The streets of the great city were absolutely deserted at this hour. It lay peaceful and still, wrapped in its mantle of gloom. A thin rain was falling, and Armand's feet, as he began to descend the heights of Marmantre, sank ankle-deep in the mud of the road. There was but scanty attempt at pavements in this outlying quarter of the town, and Armand had much ado to keep his footing on the uneven and intermittent stones that did duty for roads in these parts. But this discomfort did not trouble him just now. One thought, and one alone, was clear in his mind. He must see Jeanne before he left Paris. He did not pause to think how he could accomplish that at this hour of the day. All he knew was that he must obey his chief, and that he must see Jeanne. He would see her, explain to her that he must leave Paris immediately, and beg her to make her preparations quickly, so that she might see him as soon as may be, and accompany him to England straight away. He did not feel that he was being disloyal by trying to see Jeanne. He had thrown prudence to the winds, not realising that his imprudence would and did jeopardise not only the success of his chief's plans, but also his life and that of his friends. He had, before parting from Hastings last night, arranged to meet him in the neighbourhood of the Neuilly Gate at seven o'clock. It was only six now. There was plenty of time for him to rouse the concierge of the house in the Square du Roule, to see Jean for a few moments, to slip into Madame Bellomme's kitchen, and there into the labourer's clothes which he was carrying in the bundle under his arm, and to be at the gate at the appointed hour. The Square du Roule is shut off from the Rue Saint-Honoré, on which it abuts, by tall iron gates, which a few years ago, when the secluded little square was a fashionable quarter of the city, used to be kept closed at night, with a watchman in uniform to intercept midnight prowlers. Now these gates had been rudely torn away from their sockets, the iron had been sold for the benefit of the ever-empty treasury, and no one cared if the homeless, the starving, or the evil-doer found shelter under the porticos of the houses, from whence wealthy or aristocratic owners had long since thought it wise to flee. No one challenged Armand when he turned into the square, and though the darkness was intense, he made his way fairly straight for the house where lodged Mademoiselle Lange. 
So far he had been wonderfully lucky. The foolhardiness with which he had exposed his life and that of his friends by wandering about the streets of Paris at this hour, without any attempt at disguise, though carrying one under his arm, had not met with the untoward fate which it undoubtedly deserved. The darkness of the night, and the thin sheet of rain as it fell, had effectually wrapped his progress through the lonely streets in their beneficent mantle of gloom. The soft mud below had drowned the echo of his footsteps. If spies were on his track, as Jeanne had feared and Blakeney prophesied, he had certainly succeeded in evading them. He pulled the concierge's bell, and the latch of the outer door, manipulated from within, duly sprang open in response. He entered, and from the lodge the concierge's voice emerging, muffled from the depths of pillows and blankets, challenged him with an oath directed at the unseemliness of the hour. "'Mademoiselle Lange,' said Armand, boldly, as without hesitation he walked past the lodge, making straight for the stairs. It seemed to him that from the concierge's room loud vituperations followed him, but he took no notice of these. Only a short flight of stairs and one more door separated him from Jeanne. He did not pause to think that she would in all probability be still in bed, that he might have some difficulty in rousing Madame Bellhomme, that the latter might not even care to admit him, nor did he reflect on the glaring imprudence of his actions. He wanted to see Jeanne, and she was on the other side of that wall. "'Eh, hey, citizen! Hola!' "'Here! Curse you! Where are you?' came in a gruff voice to him from below. He had mounted the stairs, and was now on the landing just outside Jeanne's door. He pulled the bell-handle, and heard the pleasing echo of the bell that would presently wake Madame Bellhomme and bring her to the door. "'Citizen! Hola! Curse you for an aristo! What are you doing there?' The concierge, a stout, elderly man, wrapped in a blanket, his feet thrust in slippers, and carrying a guttering tallow candle, had appeared upon the landing. He held the candle up so that its feeble, flickering rays fell on Armand's pale face, and on the damp cloak which fell away from his shoulders. "'What are you doing there?' reiterated the concierge, with another oath from his prolific vocabulary. "'As you see, citizen,' replied Armand, politely, "'I am ringing Mademoiselle Lange's front door-bell.' "'At this hour of the morning?' queried the man, with a sneer. "'I desire to see her.' "'Then you have come to the wrong house, citizen,' said the concierge, with a rude laugh. "'The wrong house? What do you mean?' stammered Armand, a little bewildered. "'She is not here, quoi,' retorted the concierge, who now turned deliberately on his heel. "'Go and look for her, citizen. It'll take you some time to find her.' He shuffled off in the direction of the stairs. Armand was vainly trying to shake himself free from a sudden, an awful sense of horror. He gave another vigorous pull at the bell. Then, with one bound, he overtook the concierge, who was preparing to descend the stairs, and gripped him peremptorily by the arm. "'Where is Mademoiselle Lange?' he asked. His voice sounded quite strange in his own ear. His throat felt parched, and he had to moisten his lips with his tongue before he was able to speak. "'Arrested?' replied the man. "'Arrested? When? Where? How?' "'When? Late yesterday evening. Where? Here, in her room. How? By the agents of the Committee of General Security. She and the old woman. Basta, that's all I know. Now I am going back to bed, and you clear out of the house. You are making a disturbance, and I shall be reprimanded.' I ask you, is this a decent time for rousing honest patriots out of their morning sleep?" He shook his arm free from Armand's grasp, and once more began to descend. Armand stood on the landing like a man who has been stunned by a blow on the head. His limbs were paralysed. He could not for the moment have moved or spoken if his life had depended on a sign or a word. His brain was reeling, and he had to steady himself with his hand against the wall, or he would have fallen headlong on the floor. He had lived in a whirl of excitement for the past twenty-four hours. His nerves during that time had been kept at straining point, 
passion, joy, happiness, deadly danger, and moral fights, had worn his mental endurance threadbare. Want of proper food and a sleepless night had almost thrown his physical balance out of gear. This blow came at a moment when he was least able to bear it. Jean had been arrested. Jean was in the hands of those brutes whom he, Armand, had regarded yesterday with insurmountable loathing. Jean was in prison. She was arrested. She would be tried, condemned, and all because of him. The thought was so awful that it brought him to the verge of mania. He watched as in a dream the form of the concierge shuffling his way down the oak staircase. His portly figure assumed gargantuan proportions. The candle which he carried looked like the dancing flames of hell, through which grinning faces, hideous and contortioned, mocked at him and leered. Then suddenly everything was dark. The light had disappeared round the bend of the stairs. Grinning faces and ghoulish visions vanished. He saw only Jeanne, his dainty, exquisite Jeanne, in the hands of those brutes. He saw her, as he had seen a year and a half ago, the victims of those bloodthirsty wretches being dragged before a tribunal that was but a mockery of justice. He heard the quick interrogatory and the responses from her perfect lips, that exquisite voice of hers veiled by tones of anguish. He heard the condemnation, the rattle of the tumbrel on the ill-paved streets, saw her there with hands clasped together, her eyes— Great God! He was really going mad! Like a wild creature driven forth, he started to run down the stairs, past the concierge who was just entering his lodge, and who now turned in surly anger to watch this man running away like a lunatic or a fool, out by the front door and into the street. In a moment he was out of the little square. Then, like a hunted hare, he still ran down the Rue Saint-Honoré, along its narrow, interminable length. His hat had fallen from his head, his hair was wild all round his face. The rain weighted the cloak upon his shoulders, but still he ran. His feet made no noise on the muddy pavement. He ran on and on, his elbows pressed to his sides, panting, quivering, intent but upon one thing—the goal which he had set himself to reach. Jean was arrested. He did not know where to look for her, but he did know whither he wanted to go now as swiftly as his legs would carry him. It was still dark. But Armand Saint-Just was a born Parisian, and he knew every inch of this quarter, where he and Marguerite had years ago lived. Down the Rue Saint-Honoré, he had reached the bottom of the interminably long street at last. He had kept just a sufficiency of reason—or was it merely blind instinct—to avoid the places where the night patrols of the National Guard might be on the watch. He avoided the Place du Carrousel, also the quay, and struck sharply to his right until he reached the façade of saint germain l'Auxrois. Another effort! round the corner, and there was the house at last. He was like the hunted creature now that has run to earth. Up the two flights of stone stairs, and then the pull of the bell, a moment of tense anxiety, whilst panting, gasping, almost choked with the sustained effort and the strain of the past half-hour, he leaned against the wall, striving not to fall. Then the well-known firm step across the rooms beyond, the open door, the hand upon his shoulder. After that he remembered nothing more. End of chapter 13